We uh, are continuing in our series on community. And uh, I thought yesterday it would be a novel idea to actually look up the word community in the dictionary. Always a good place to start. So the dictionary definition of community is a unified body of individuals. And I love what, how Steve Maine started out his message last week by not only addressing those of us that are here in person, but addressing everyone who's watching online, whether it's at 10 o'clock in the morning or 4 o'clock in the afternoon, that we address that challenge that we have, that it's hard to be unified these days because we have people here, we have people online. So I just want to recognize everyone's presence here today and challenge us all to seek to be a unified body of individuals. I wonder if it, that is really what we are. I think we would like to think we are. Uh, we've talked about it for a couple of weeks. We've got another week still to go, and then two weeks later, we're going to start doing community in small groups. By no way am I attempting to point a finger or criticize anybody or anything this morning, but I do think we need to take an honest look at are we a unified body of individuals? Before I really get into our passage, I feel like I need to kind of come clean with all of you on a character flaw that um, I have. I don't follow the directions very well. <laughs> I'm assuming that there are other mainly males present and online that would agree with me that I know better than the directions usually. Now, don't start looking across the aisle and poking elbows because I've already seen that happen twice. But So a very realistic example of this is uh, I always think I have a better way or I don't need the directions. I can figure it out. When my boys were younger, we came down to buy them bikes. So we bought the two older guys bikes at the same time. I believe it was at Sears or someplace like that. But we went in to buy the bikes, and you had a couple of choices, not only in the styles of bikes, but if you could have your bike pre-assembled or you could just get it in the box. And to get it pre-assembled was an extra, like, 40 bucks a piece. And when we're buying two bikes at the same time, I mean, come on. I can put a bike together, right? So I chose, much to my wife's dismay, that I would save the $40 each and carry home two boxes containing all the parts of bikes. So... I sat in the garage in the driveway for several hours, and uh, when I completed the bikes, neither one of them looked the same, even though they were the same style, and there were a lot of leftover parts. And then when my oldest got on his bike first, and he starts coasting down the driveway and goes to start pedaling, and the chain falls off, the handlebars got loose, and the brakes weren't properly attached. So became very clear, and my wife so graciously suggested that we go back to Sears with the bicycles and have them put together the way the instructions are in the box. Because the box did come with instructions, but of course I didn't need the instructions. I had my way, which was better. I'm sure none of us are guilty of that same thing. But in the context of our passage this morning, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it's the Corinthians are kind of in a similar spot with me because the whole book of Corinthians is basically a response to questions that the Corinthians sent to Paul because they were, he had established a church in Corinth and they were trying to do church. They were trying to be a unified body of individuals, but they were struggling. There's a lot of diversity and a lot of disagreements and different things like that. So 
basically the whole book of Corinthians, Paul is addressing all the different issues that the church at Corinth is struggling with in their church life. And when we get to chapter 12, his main teaching is on diversity and unity and the fact that God gives each of us different spiritual gifts. And he goes listing, you know, the, the purpose that it, they're given according to God's wisdom. And this is how we're supposed to celebrate them and not compare them and, and just use them for the good of the whole group and not as individuals. So right in the middle, kind of sandwiched in between his teaching on the gifts of the Spirit is our passage in 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 27. So I'm going to read that real quick for us. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we are all given the one Spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. It would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed all the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that all of its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. So the Corinthians were struggling with the same issue that I had struggled with. They were given instructions, and they didn't follow them. They were doing things their way, and it wasn't quite working out well. So I want to look back at Paul's instructions for them as just an encouragement for us, for a little self-evaluation and encouragement to really strive to be a unified body of individuals together. I think the first thing that we can glean from the passage is whether or not we really believe that there is a better way than ours, naturally. That God does have instructions that he wants us to follow. Do we really believe that he has given each of us gifts and abilities, not for the good of individuals, but for the group of the greater good, and that we need to celebrate those. There was a, uh, a group of Native Americans from the Hopi Indian tribe in Arizona and Utah. And uh, they were hugely successful in operating as their own tribe. And some educators decided that they were going to help them do things better. So they wanted to start with doing a standardized testing of all of the Hopi Indians in this tribe so that they could find out where the strengths and weaknesses were and things like that. So they arranged for the teenagers and the young adults from the Hopi tribe to come together to one of the schoolrooms, and they outlined the tables and chairs and everything, and they were going to give them the standardized test. So the Hopi Indians sat down, 
They were issued the test and their pencils, and the proctor gave the instructions, you have this amount of time and everything else, and he said, okay, your testing time has begun. And as soon as he said that, without even flinching, all of the Indians stood up, moved all the tables out, and put all the chairs together in the middle of the room. And the proctor was like, whoa, 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 you can't do that. This is individual standardized testing. You have to take your own test so that we can evaluate everyone. And they just looked together so puzzled at him because they said, well, that's completely opposite of our entire life as a Hopi Indian. We never do anything on our own. Everything is done together because we know and we're convinced and our life shows that we are so much better as a unified group than we are as individuals. And I wonder if that is something that we hold to as well. Another thing I think we can glean from Paul's teaching is that we need each other. There is a dependency. Whether we like it or not, that's the way God's created us. I loved a couple weeks ago when Steve Shipstead was, was talking about 2 a.m. friends. You know, do you have one? Do you have some? We all need them. I also was very uh, impressed by his Lean on Me singing a couple of weeks ago. I'm not going to do that this morning, but I appreciate the fact that he did. Uh, but we, we need people in our lives that we can count on. And we need to be people who other people can count on us as well. And do we really act on that? Are we comfortable enough to be real with each other? Can our church be a place where it's okay not to be okay? Sometimes or all the time. But yet we seek to help each other out. And there's a comfort level there. And the comfort level I don't think is something that's just natural that comes. I think it has to be taught. I think it has to be lived out. And I think it has to be purposeful. So the group of college seniors were coming together because they were all RAs, resident assistants living in the dorms. They were like in charge of the different dorms. And the instructor from the college wanted to get all of the RAs together a week before school started so they could do some team building exercises together so they could be all on the same page. So they meet first thing in the morning and they're out in a field area outside the college campus and uh, they're lying out, it poured rain the night before. So everyone's kind of sloshing around and they all kind of knew each other but they were not from the same social groups necessarily so it was a little bit of uh, just not knowing each other well. So the instructor said, before we get started, the first thing I want you to do is get in a circle. And they get in a circle. And he says, now I want you to take both of your hands, and I want you to grab the butt of the person next to you. <laughs> and they looked at him, and they weren't sure what to do. There were a couple of guys who were like, well, I'll do that. You know? and, and, but they said, why in the world are you asking us to do that? And he said, well, as you know, it poured rain last night, and our first challenge as a team is to get to the top of that muddy hill right there. And we're going to go single file for safety. And you know the person in front of you is going to be slipping and sliding the whole way up, so they're going to need your help and support. And I just thought we'd just get comfortable with each other before we even start, so nobody worries about whether or not you're going to help the person in front of you and depend on the person behind you. So I would like to suggest that we all stand up right now. And <laughs> no. But getting that out of the way and becoming comfortable with each other and depending on each other and allowing ourselves to depend on each other is something that I think we need to keep before us as we strive to be a unified group of individuals. I think 
Another thing that is dealt with in the, the passage is we need to be careful about how we interact with each other. Because I think the way that we, the things that we say, the way that we treat each other can either be the key to our community or it can be the downfall of our community. And I think that needs to be done without causing people to doubt themselves or judging each other. But just an overarching sense that you are accepted. Not because of what you can offer me or not because of the way you make me feel, but just because I want to accept you and honor you and not have you worry about being judged because I'm trusting that the one who's created you and gifted you has given you something to offer to the greater good. Comparison can be such a challenge. You know, I was talking in the passage about whether I'm good at this or you're good at that or I'm this, and it just, comparison does nothing but either cause insecurity or arrogance. There's no middle ground with it. I remember for years going to National Youth Workers Conventions where there would be three to 4,000 youth workers. Um, we'd go away for a long weekend. And usually my wife would come with me. And younger, when I was younger, early on in ministry, it was so hard for me not to compare myself to other youth workers. Because typically, as you would meet people at these conventions, you had your name, tag, what church you were from. And within like the first 15 seconds of meeting new people, inevitably they would say, so how many kids are in your youth group? And I guarantee you that 99% of the people lied and inflamed the number of kids in their youth group. Because if you were considered successful, then you would have over 10 to 15% of your church population would be the number of kids in your youth group. And you'd have the people that worked at large churches, so they walked around, yeah, I got 75 kids in my junior high group. You know, and then you got the other person that walks in and goes, I got three. But you know what? I love those three kids, and we have a great time. But in me was always that struggle of comparison. And there were times where I was completely insecure about being honest about some of the struggles in ministry or the participation of students. And then there were other times that, sadly, I was arrogant because I worked at a bigger church and there were so many more kids or this and that. I think as we're struggling to be a unified group of individuals, we need to be aware of how comparison, the way we treat and the way we speak to each other affects that. I had a really interesting, we actually did a, a retreat one time with our high school group on this passage. And to show everybody that what we do does affect everybody else as part of the body, we had a big spaghetti dinner the first Friday night of the retreat, and we tied everyone's hands together with a very short piece of string. And then we sat at the table and had it family style, and you had to serve yourself, you had to eat, you had everything else. And at the end of the night, we talked about how what we do and say affects each other, and it was amazing what that told us. We have to work together. We can't just both do our own thing and expect unity to come from it. The greater good of the whole needs to be the goal. The last thing I want to just touch on, too, is beyond just accepting each other and honoring our differences, we need to truly celebrate each other. Celebrate what we are gifted at and good at. Don't point out the parts that maybe you're not. And allow all of those things to come together. I choose to accept you. I choose to honor you. 
and I choose to celebrate you. One of the funnest things in youth ministry is when you have a student and their parents together, either in the same room or standing next to each other talking, is for me to celebrate that kid in front of his parents or her parents. Because the kid then feels not only accepted, but honored and celebrated. And the parents puff up with pride and everything too. We need to be doing that as a congregation and celebrate and honor well beyond just accepting, but truly desiring to be together and acknowledging that God has created us just the way he wanted to be for the purpose of the greater whole group of the body is better when everyone participates and everyone acknowledges the other. There's an old children's fable called The Animal School. And I don't know if you remember it, if you've heard it before, but the whole animal kingdom gets together and they, in their wisdom, they decide that we need to kind of get some curriculum going across our animal school and we're going to have four main subjects. It'll be flying, swimming, running, and climbing. And, of course, all of the students need to participate in all four subjects, and so they quickly impose that. And, and they quickly found out that, well, the squirrel was pretty darn good at climbing, but he couldn't swim for a lick. And the, the duck got an A in swimming, but, and he could do somewhat okay in running, but there was no way the duck was going to be climbing. You know, and you can kind of see where that's going, but if we're, if we're trying to make people into something because of what they can offer us, or how they can make us feel, then we're taking them out of the true identity that God has given them and the gifts and abilities that he's placed within them. I truly hope that in a couple weeks, it's not just the only time we'll be experiencing unity and community, but I think as we go into our small groups and the building of those groups, that we would really go into it with excitement, that we could really not just amongst ourselves, but if anyone came and visited our church, that one of the comments they would have would be, wow, what a unified group of individuals that celebrate each other, that respect each other, that honor each other. And by the way, that's what God's instructions for us are. Amen.